1: hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to the passing shot the tennis podcast by fans i'm joel i'm kim and on today's episode welcome to the passing shots
0: 2020 awards show
1: please take your seats quickly ladies and gentlemen thank you Kim, final episode of the season. We have made it this far. I think we've done 70 odd episodes this season, but we're finally here. And what better way to commemorate looking back on the, the season that we've had than with a good old-fashioned review, an award show, if you will. Um, it's almost going to be like the passing shot sort of Oscars for the tennis season that was which was kind of like, it was almost kind of split into two halves, wasn't it?
0: It was. And do you know what, Joel? I am struggling to remember the pre-lockdown part of the season <laughs> now. I, I just feel it was such a long time ago. Mm. It was a different world. It, it was a different, it, it's just a different entity entirely. And um, I, I have to say a lot of, I think my awards or the the, the things that sprung to mind when I was kind of considering, uh, you know, who I was going to pick it's all been like the latter part of the season, which is slightly unfair to those that achieved a lot, I think, in the first few months. But, you know, it's just quite hard to think back to normal times, I suppose. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll we'll do our best, won't we? We've got about 16 uh, categories for our award show um, and this will be our last uh, pod of the season. So we'll be having a, a nice Christmas break after this one, I think.
1: Yeah, it, it is a bit. It is a bit funny, isn't it? Because yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't know about our listeners, but I genuinely uh, was struggling a little bit in terms of thinking about all the sort of moments that happened. Uh, you know, happened pre pre lockdown. Of course, we had the the Australian Open, but um, yeah, I, I had to go. I had to do a bit of research in terms of thinking about actually what what happened across the, the whole season. Because I was thinking. You know, I could I could just in the forefront of my mind was all the sort of the moments that happened sort of post lockdown where, you know, we're all sort of in this in this new world. And as a result of that, I think my mind was almost kind of more more alert to it. But um yeah, we we've got we've got six, 16 sort of categories, some some serious ones, some fun ones. Um we're gonna go through them from one by one. Listeners, of course, um with each category uh, I'm sure you're going to have your your own opinions we're going to have our opinion as well I think some of them we are sort of in agreement on but on some of them we also have uh split opinions on so let's get the ball rolling Kim uh first category for our uh, end of season review um we're going to start I think most aptly I think really for 2020 we're going to start with uh the, we're going to start with the award for the wtf moment of the year do you want to do you want to kick us off where 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 are your thoughts where are your thoughts on this
0: well, my thoughts immediately are, are, is that we should clarify this is not the World Tour Finals (WTF). <laughs> it's it's genuinely what the you know, because um, when when it's written down, I still think oh World Tour Finals because uh, that was just the the acronym of, of choice. But no, this is our our kind of most shocking, most surprising, most unexpected moment of the year award. And I mean, I think this is one of the only ones, Joel, that we're actually in agreement on because it's got to be. Um, the Novak Djokovic default at the U.S. Open—that was the first thing that I, that sprung to my mind, and I, I, genuinely, you know, can't think of another moment that was quite as shocking in in that moment, and it was the only moment that we did an emergency podcast for, so I feel <laughs> I like know. it's got to win this this particular <laughs> award. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you, you messaged me, uh, on WhatsApp to be like, I think we should do an emergency podcast. Um, cause it was that, it was that dramatic. Um, you know, this was something that I, it, it had not happened in a long, long time. You know, just doing kind of some research. Um, it was the, it was the first time a player had been defaulted. Um, from such a tournament since Stefan Kubek at the 2000 French Open, so it just goes to show you it this that sort of thing just does not happen that often, and the fact that it happened to to Novak Djokovic of all people because I th- I feel like you know we were we were coming out of lockdown thinking you know is this guy going to go unbeaten the whole season because uh, you know I think he was going into that match with um Karenia Buster, you know 20, 26 and O. And you know, uh, you know, genuinely, a undefeated season was on the cards, and I think for me, that's what made it so. That's what made it so dramatic because we felt that we were just heading towards this sort of, this almost sort of procession that that Djokovic was going to get to the final, is probably going to win it. You know, Nadal wasn't there, etc. And like this happened, and it was just really, was just really a shot. You know, it was just really surprising and it it resulted in all my sort of friends who were you know who were not like the biggest tennis fans in the world all messaging me to being like kind of what your opinion is i think that that was it it was just so it was so kind of seismic that it got my friends who aren't even interested in tennis kind of talking to me about what literally just happened
0: yeah. And that normally only happens around Wimbledon time when you have like <laughs> non, the non tennis people in your life suddenly merging into the tennis world and kind of touching base with you on, on what's going on in tennis. And yeah, I mean, it was also for me, like when, when you first saw that ball kind of going towards the line judge, um, you know, it was seem, seemingly so innocuous the way Novak just like hit the ball away. And I, I never would have thought that it would result in, in what happened. And, And like you said, it really does only happen once in a blue moon. You know, it's not happened for like 20 years, basically. So uh, it's definitely the most unpredictable moment of the year, um, the WTF moment of the year, without a doubt. And I I don't think we're going to see it happen for. A while more. I mean, famous last words perhaps, but uh, it's not going to be one of those everyday occurrences, is it? (laughs) I think people will have learnt from from Novak's experience.
1: Yeah, it definitely was a a learning situation, I think, for Novak Djokovic. To be honest, I don't want to see these sorts of moments. um, You know, obviously. I want. I, I don't want to see these those these moments. To be honest, on the, on a tennis court. Um. So you know, it, it definitely very much was. I think. Uh. Sort of a learning experience. You know, Djokovic obviously had to take that one on the chin, and I think you know he you know he will hold his hand up, and you know I think he knew. You know, kind of watching the the TV. I think he knew he he knew he was in trouble um and it was you know it was the right decision we have a whole as you said we have a whole emergency podcast kind of devoted for it if if listeners want to kind of kind of divulge into it but um yeah it really was the wtf moment of the year i will say kim though special mention to sam query who we again we've spoken about at length i think that is a a deserved potentially a deserved runner-up i mean the fact that he tested COVID positive, went on the run from Russia. We didn't really know his whereabouts. Um I mean, it, it again, that was just for me. <laughs> that, that was just for me, again, kind of the side of the times that, that that we were in. And who, you know, who would have thought that sort of situation could have occurred, you know, at the at the start of the season. So I'd also give a special sort of honourable mention to to Sam Query in the the WTF moment category. Um but um yeah, let's let's move on because I think yeah, you know, broadly speaking we're kind of in, in agreement on on that one um but but let's move on to our next award which is newcomer of the year um so again where are you where do you stand on this who for you was the the newcomer of of this year's season on the well i mean where would you go would you go on the atp
0: side or would, or would you go on the the wta side it's tricky isn't it because uh, it's it's been a difficult season it's been you know a season of two halves and it's it's quite hard i think for players to to perhaps make their mark in that kind of situation but i have to say one player for me i i don't know if when you say the word newcomer how, how do we define it do you define it as someone who's literally completely burst onto the scene no one had ever heard of before or do you define it as someone who's kind of making their mark and going up into the higher echelons of the sport and for me I guess I kind of was going more on the latter so I've picked someone who perhaps was a newcomer 2019 but I feel has had you know a very successful season and, and really proved their their worth even more I suppose. Um, and perhaps there is a bit of recency bias in my selection because <laughs> he's done quite well of late. But I went for Yannick Sinner um, because I think you know making his uh, grandstand breakthrough by reaching the quarters at the French Open and and really being you know one of the only players to kind of pressure Rafa you know in that first set of their match and really show his um his his genuine talent and abilities and. And his willingness to kind of engage with Rafa, you know, on the the baseline and kind of overpowering him at times. And, you know, he's also won his first ATP title. He's broken into the top 40. And I think, you know, he's shown quite consistently across the year, actually, that he really is the real deal. And for me, yes, on the ATP side, there were other players that, you know, have perhaps burst onto the scene like Lorenzo Massetti for example, but I, I kind of wanted to give it to someone who, um, I say give it as if we're some like established authority. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that they're going to know what we're doing. Joel.
1: Jim, he's going to be so proud that he's, he's received the, the passing shots newcomer of the year award for, from you.
0: <laughs> I just, yeah, for me, this is the player that um, in terms of up and coming, like new talents, he is the most impressive for me. Hence I've, picked him what about you joel who have you gone for
1: (laughs) so i've i have gone slightly different actually on and i've actually gone on the the women's side actually on the on the wta side and i'm i'm giving my newcomer of the year to jennifer brady who you know may have started sort of you know in Ah. terms of in terms of rankings maybe you know obviously a bit higher than than sinner you know has had a bit more sort of years on the tour um in terms of experience but really i felt that particularly post-lockdown um, she really kind of put herself on the map in terms of um, you know her performances on the court, and and that really resonating with kind of tennis fans. I mean, you've got just got to look at her kind of first tournament back when she played in in Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, she won. You know, she won that tournament. British fans remember she defeated Heather Watson, um, she defeated Magda Lynette, and she went all the way through to the final. Coco Goff without dropping a set and she just literally went on this sort of trailblazing run on the, in the hardcore almost in the, on the american hardcourts, where she just built herself up with this as, as this absolute threat um in terms of you know how she was playing and I, you know I, but particularly for me something that was so pleasing to watch was it's just i think just her style of tennis her like sort of all-round all-round sort of capability i just think think in terms of it just was very easy to sort of resonate with with fans and i think for me that almost kind of culminated at the you know the us open where she despite sort of being ranked you know i think i think she was like the 28th seed um you know 41st in the world but um you know she went all the way through to the semi-finals um had a really 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 good match with uh, naomi Osaka, see the the um who went on to kind of win the tournament. But, but really for me, yeah, Je- Jennifer Brady was absolutely kind of fantastic and probably was one of the, one of the best players on the, on the court kind of, you know, um, you know, in the sort of, in that, in that sort of new world. I think she was really kind of one of the ones to be like, right, kind of the spotlight is back on tennis. Who's going to take the, you know, advantage of that spotlight? And I genuinely think across the ATP and, and WTA tours, I think Jennifer Brady was, was probably the one who who arguably kind of took it most.
0: No, I think that's a great shout. She had an amazing summer, especially you know on the, the those US hard courts. And although she's been around for a bit, like this was really yeah, like you said, like her coming out party. Exactly. Um, I guess other special mentions. I mean, do we say Ega Schiavone because she you know had an amazing French Open? Um, and you know you could argue a case for her as well. Um. But I think she's going to come into our roundup later on, actually. Um, but also Fiona Farrow as well. You know, she's she's making waves. She's won her first tournament. She's gone right up in the rankings and, you know, got to the fourth round of the French. So she's she's a name to watch. I was very impressed by her this year as well. So, yeah, there's definitely quite a few candidates for, for that um for that category. So um I think we'll go with Cinnar and Brady, but listeners, you may you may beg to differ. <laughs> um let's move on to our third award, Joel, because we have um doubles moment of the year next. So uh yeah, what floated your boat with with the doubles?
1: <laughs> this was one of your choices, wasn't it? Well, I
0: I think I might be able to guess. Was it for you, Joel, was it your faves, Kravitz and Mees, capturing their second straight Roland Garros?
1: Uh no, the doubles <laughs> moment of the year was, was it wasn't Kim, it wasn't that. It was when uh one of them was in the supermarket in lockdown doing their doing their bit.
0: Yay. I think that was uh oh, which one was it? I can't remember, I can't remember. was it was I can't it remember. Oh, um, I know.
1: No, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. Um no, genuinely for me doubles moment of the year, I mean, I'm talking about this as a British fan, uh it was Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram. Winning the Australian Open, um, at the very start of the year. I feel like we almost kind of forget that happened because of almost, I think we kind of focus on sort of everything that only happened sort of post lockdown. But I think this is genuinely a moment that was, um, you know, really, yeah, it, it, it was just like, you know, this is a very, a very, very good doubles team. And I think like this was the moment where, you know, they really, you know, they really deserved it. Um, you know, based on all the, you know, the performances that they've, they've given on the, on the tour. You know, particularly for British fans as well. I think, you know, Joe became the, the fourth British player to win a Grand Slam title in, you know, in men's doubles in the open era. But I think what what's important for me is I think that, I think we need to almost like not jump to the conclusion, I've, which I feel like some fans do, is that Jamie Murray is like the best sort of British like doubles player. Um, and I feel like Joe Salisbury almost kind of gets a little bit left by the wayside and um, almost kind of unfairly slow and I think I think this season particularly Joe Salisbury with Rajiv Ram have you know they have really impressed on the on the doubles tour particularly at, at grand slams I know we we spoke about their sort of um run at the the tour finals ending in agonizing defeat but I think you know they won the Australian Open I think they reached the semi-finals of the um French Open doubles and US Open doubles so uh, yeah for me it's 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 got to be Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram
0: great shout no I I totally concur actually with regards to to Jamie Murray like who is absolutely fantastic but I feel like Joe Salisbury is not quite on the British public's radar just yet and um, I hope that that will change um, in due course (laughs) Um, but yeah I I think I've got Joe Salisbury uh, spoiler alert for something a bit later on but for me this is very random Joel but uh, my my doubles moment of the year was seeing Freddie Nielsen <laughs> back in uh the, the grand slam playing doubles, and uh well he reached the quarterfinals at Roland Garros, had a match point with his partner Tim Puetz. Um, they had a match point to beat the top seeds Cabal and Farah. Uh, But they lost. But I thought, well, here we go. Freddie Nilsson. uh, You know, Freddie Nilsson getting into this stage of a slam again after his triumph at Wimbledon in in 2012. um, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, he's one of my faves. And it's been a while since I've kind of seen him uh, at that level. So, yeah, I thought that was just a personal personal highlight of of my year. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure... It's probably not many listeners out there who would have picked that one, so
1: uh... <laughs> or even know who Freddie Nielsen is.
0: Well, yes, I, well, I, I would hope that they know who he is. Danish, <laughs> uh, you know, finest Danish, Danish talent since. Well, I mean, we've got yeah, basically on the men's side. I mean, obviously Caroline Wozniacki is amazing. So, um, but yeah, and um, the next award, uh, I, I'll continue because it's British moment of the year. Um, so for me, I've actually put Joel joe salisbury down for this one uh you know winning the australian open i know i keep wanting to say joel (laughs) joel and joe too similar yeah sorry british moment of the year joe salisbury and rajiv ram winning the ao at the start of the season um i think that was just absolutely fabulous and you know they've had such a great year generally as well and you know they did very well right down to the last um you know event in london and you know we're so close to finishing as top doubles team, you know, number one in the season. So um, fantastic kind of breakthrough for Joe Salisbury. And I'm I'm hoping they can capture more slams in 2021. But yeah, I think I know we've had some success, uh, you know, on the singles uh, for the Brits. Um, you know, Heather Watson's won a title. Carl Ledman's won a title. Uh, Dan Evans has done really well. But for me, Joe Salisbury, I had to give it to him. What about you, Joel?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it's a funny one because if you think about British moment of the year, I, you know, if I'm being really honest about it, I don't think there's been that many moments. And I think, you know, as a British fan kind of going into 2020, I think we would have hoped for, for more moments. I mean, yes, Heather Watson won a title. Yes, Kyle Edmund won a title, but I, you know, I feel like, you know, when you talk about those players, Joe Conter as well, it, it didn't really, It didn't really happen for them. I mean, I feel like with Kyle Edmund particularly, it was almost kind of like we're expecting him to... I think he went on like five consecutive, you know, first round defeats or or whatever. So I feel like it was a little bit of a overall, sort of a little bit of a, a disappointing sort of year for Brits. But I think specifically for one Brit, though, it was a very good season just kind of overall i think and and that player was was dan evans um you know he reached a career high of of 33 uh in january and uh, you know I, I think although his sort of his record at uh, the slams this year was pretty 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 ordinary given you know given the form that he showed uh, on the on the tour um you know at the atp tour events he just was very very solid um you know, I, I was looking again I was in terms of kind of just kind of stats. I mean, he's he he won, um, he won against eight top 20 opponents, uh, in in 2020, which is really, really impressive. I think it puts him in sort of the top five in in that sort of list. And he was just a very consistent performer across the season. I think the only, I think, as I said, I think the only sort of, um, the only sort of um drawback was his his record at Grand Sam's which he felt like he could have could have done a bit more damage at particularly given you know not everyone you know was playing the you know the US Open the French Open but I think if you look at his form and how he was performing on the ATP Tour events particularly on the kind of the indoor hard court season um yeah for me it, it's it's got to be uh Dan Evans
0: no i think that that is a really good shout like consistently he's had a fantastic season you know um did really well in some of the kind of latter tournaments of the year getting to the semi-finals and and coming quite close but yeah i think absolutely great shout for dan evans there um i'm hoping that yeah it, i mean it hasn't been a sort of um what's the word i'm looking for i think it's
1: it's been a bit underwhelming
0: Yes, it hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been the best season. I'm hoping <laughs> 2021 will be much more memorable. Um, I'm hoping Jo Conter can can get her groove again at the slams as well.
1: Um, I was just going to say Kim. She's back with her old coach, so hopefully, hopefully, yeah, they can rediscover former former glories,
0: some of the magic. Yeah, let's let's keep our fingers crossed when the season does eventually start. Um, <laughs> next category, next category, though, Joel, going to go for comeback of the year. Now, this could be interpreted, I think, in different ways. But for me, I'm picking a comeback in a particular, in a singular match. So someone who came back from the brink of defeat and won. And I don't know if you remember or if our listeners remember this match, but it was at the US Open. um, And it was (laughs) Christina Mladenovic, who was easing comfortably through 6-1, 5-1, four match points uh, she had, and she lost to uh, 20-year-old Vivara Gracheva, who I have to say I hadn't heard of before, who, yeah, came back, made one of the most stunning kind of performances to come back from that deficit to to get through. And obviously that was, after that match, uh, Medzinovic was quite outspoken about the... Um, situation with the the bubbles and the hotel and i think benoit oh, might have yes, had something to do yes. with that
1: <laughs> yes, because remember but, um, she was trying to blame yeah, she, she was she trying to blame everything wasn't she on she was literally trying to blame that on everything wasn't it
0: yeah uh when really she kind of just had a meltdown a massive meltdown and uh yeah but i mean absolutely great for Gracheva. i mean it, it it just goes to show you've got nothing to lose four match points down, six, one, five, one down. You can completely change a match on its head. And and that's why I guess we love the sport because it can just, you know, have some funky scorelines going on like that. So yeah, my marks uh, go to Gracheva for comeback of the year.
1: She didn't want that double breadstick. Did she? She absolutely did not want to uh, digest a double breadstick. Um, yeah. I am going to go for, so I've gone a bit opposite. Actually, I I've not, I've not plucked out a single match. I've actually gone for looking at it in terms of the season. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of kind of listeners will agree with me here and I'm going to give my comeback of the year to Victoria Azarenka who, um, you know, who's just really been a, it was just a bit like a breath of fresh air this season. It was almost a bit like, uh, where has this form been for the last few years? Because, you know, I, over the you know since sort of the heydays I think of the early you know two thousand and ten she really has you know been in in situations where we're a bit like you know where you know you know why why are you here where why aren 't you sort of you know top ten top five even um you know in in the rankings because um you know it it's kind of i think been generally felt she 's not been playing to you know her potential and and her talent but you know up until this season. Um, yeah, that, that, that I think was kind of the overriding sort of tone, but that, that I think has changed dramatically, particularly again, since kind of coming out of, of lockdown. I mean, she won her first WTA title since 2016 at the Miami open um you know in terms of the us open of course that was almost kind of a crowning achievement getting to the us open final beat serena williams for the first time um at a grand slam tournament along the way it really was just a, a mark of of how i think how far that she you know she's come on and the fact that she was able to kind of reproduce that that tournament and you know a lot of, i think has a lot of been said about the fact that you know her becoming a mum and you know that almost giving her a new sort of uh, outlook on on life and um really i think that has kind of helped her again just kind of understand i think you know her you know her, her point uh, you know her position and it's it's really it's i think really really helped her and you know she continued that form post us open i mean we had that crazy crazy result against kenin when she double bageled her in the um in the um in the rome uh, the rome open um, and then she got to the final in the in Ostrava as well at the the end of the season. So the fact that she got back into the the top fifteen, given you know, given that where she was sort of just kind of almost just kind of existing, really, um, it, it, I think that for me was just really really impressive.
0: No, definitely, and I have to say, if I was yeah going down a, a more of a general comeback like overall for the season, I'd also have to say Svetana um you know, coming back after you know being off for like three years, um, having a child, you know, and then making like the quarterfinals at the US Open out of the blue, um, wasn't expecting that, and she did really, really well. So I'd have to kind of give a special nod to to Peronkova as well. It's someone who I've always uh, very much enjoyed watching, um, so I'm pleased, I'm very pleased she's back. Um, but yeah, um, Azarenka's an absolutely fantastic shout as well. I think next award now, Joel, moving swiftly on. Favourite court innovation for 2020. (laughs) So there's been quite a lot of these as a result Mm. of COVID, I have to say. What have you got for that one, Joel?
1: Yeah, I've I think I've gone for an ob- an obvious one. I mean, yeah, as you said, the fact that we're operating is in this sort of new world. It, it has meant, it has meant. I think that innovation has almost become a necessity on the tour, on 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 the tennis court, and I think particularly for me, the fact that um you know hawkeye is evolving as well it's been really fascinating and you know this season as a fan we we've seen that on on television with the the introduction of of hawkeye live which effectively means that um we don't have to have um we don't have to have l- lines people on on a tennis court which you know in the days of social distancing i think has been has been a necessity and you know i think this has come in and it has performed on generally on the whole really well. Um, you know, there's been no, I do, I feel like there's been very few issues. I feel like the, the issues that we have had have been more to do with like the implementation of it across the, you know, across the tour. Um, so that might be kind of a an, um, sort of a learning point, but really when it has been applied, I think it's just been, been very, very good, been very, very effective and hasn't really sort of, disrupted the the flow of kind of dis- disrupted the flow of matches i do think there will be a question about you know once you know lines people are able to kind of come back on a tennis court how does hawkeye live sort of fit in but i certainly think you know at the moment in these sorts of times where you know in this sort of bubble life et cetera, on the tour um it, it has been a necessity and i think it has it has delivered and 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 we needed it to deliver i think in order to kind of put on these put on these tournaments particularly the the grand slams and um and and you know the the US open particularly but um yeah i just think it's it's just worked really well
0: no i i agree and i think it just shows how adaptable you know humans are and and how the sport and organizations and governing bodies have been and and are and which is great and i i think for me the thing that stands out that i i think will be kept actually you know in this in a post-covid era is the the player towel boxes at the end of each court um for the players to dump their towels in Um, I think that there's been a a call for those for a while. I think a lot of people have always thought it was a bit gross that, you know, the ball kids have to kind of handle, um, handle the player towels and all the, I guess, germs that would be on them in in the best of times. So I think that's, for me, it's a big plus for hygiene and um, getting players to kind of, yeah, just do it themselves. Uh, And I think that will stay in a post COVID world and, yeah. It's simple, simple things like that. will in ten years from now will be like, Do you remember the days when players had to, you know, ask the ball kid to pass them their towel? Uh you know, that would be unthinkable.
1: Yeah, it felt that felt certainly like a no brainer and it doesn't feel like we're gonna ever go back to a point where I, I feel like towel containers won't exist. I think it's, yeah, it was almost kind of like we now look back in hindsight and think, you know, it was kind of almost a little bit ridiculous that like the, the ball boys would have to get the, you know, have to put themselves in a position where they're picking up like, you know, the, the player towels, which have, you know, sweat on, for example. So I certainly think that is something that was again, yeah, needed and absolutely it should be, it should be here to stay. Um, but let yeah Kim let's let's move on to our final our final category before we go to a quick ad break. Um we've got oh sorry we've got we have got two more sorry I got I've got I got ahead of myself. Um so penultimate penultimate category before we go to an ad break. Um a, a biggie I think um because there's been a few of them. But upset of the year um and you know I think generally being 2020 we've had a lot of sort of surprising Results, But at the same time, I think we're again, this is probably one of the few categories we both agree. There was one result that really, I think, took us by it, it took us by surprise in terms of the, the sort of seismic shock, the seismic shock of it.
0: And what are you going for, Joel? Or do you want me to go? You want me to go first on this one? Are we in agreement? <laughs> yeah, I
1: think we're in agreement. I think we're in agreement.
0: Well, yes, I mentioned this particular player earlier, and um, I think actually when it was going on, we were recording a podcast, and <laughs> it was in the middle of the French Open, and it was the uh, absolutely destructive performance of Igor Swiatek over top seed and tournament favorite Simona Halep. Um, Absolutely did not see that coming. Um, it wasn't just, you know, the, the scoreline, it was, it was the manner of the defeat. It was the, from start to finish, just the absolute kind of dominance of Svantec in that match. And Hallep just did not have an answer. And it wasn't just Hallep, obviously, that fell by the wayside. Everyone kind of came up stuck against Svantec. But after the 2019 rendition of that match where Hallep kind of thrashed, SchwanTech, for it to kind of turn completely the other way round, and for SchwanTech to win through in just over an hour, um, it you know six one six two the score line was it, it was just for me that was the most surprising. Yeah, the most surprising performance and and win of the year. And in hindsight, it doesn't seem surprising because we obviously saw what Chevron went on to do. But at the time, you know, for that moment, I was kind of quite baffled (laughs) and just amazed at, at the performance. I mean, Halep was on a
1: 17-match winning streak going into that match. We genuinely... Almost it was a bit like, you know, Djokovic at the US Open. We were kind of going into the tournament thinking, you know, this is Simona Halep's to to lose. You know, she was in great form and you felt like she was going to add another slam to her cabinet. Um, she, I think she, you know, she had been progressing through, you know, the first week um, at Roland Garros pretty pretty easily and... Yeah, along came Sviontek, and just absolutely, it was it was a total destruction. I mean, six one, six two. It was, it was really, it was one of those where it was really shocking, but it it wasn't because you you know if you were watching it, the tennis she was producing was absolutely. It was you know it was very it was very much out of the top draw. It was I think the fact that she was able to do it against someone you know in the calibre of you know a grand slam champion like Simona Halep who you know she she wasn't out of form or anything she just wasn't able to you know she just wasn't able to play her game and yeah I, that for me again it, that's that's why i think that was just uh it was just uh it was just a, it was just an upset that really i think we'll be talking about as a really kind of uh, you know if if shionteck is able to keep sort of injury free and you know is able to kind of keep on the tour you know and and do her thing and and progress i think we're going to be looking at this match as really kind of the you know the start of you know the start of the start of her sort of you know maybe the start of her dominance on the on the WT tour that's i genuinely think that's how good uh she was um at, at the french open
0: no i completely agree and i mean there have been other you know, upsets throughout the year or matches that might have surprised one. But this one was just, you know, Halep was playing really well at the start of the French Open. And I genuinely thought, yeah, who's, who's going to, you know, who's really going to beat Halep? Like she's looking in such good form. And then this just, bam, came out the blue. So I it was really hard for me to look beyond this. Um And that, that well, hence, we're in agreement. And listeners, you know, what do you think? Are there other matches that, you know, kind of shocks you more? Or I think I think this one's like just right up there. Performances of all time. Um, it really reminded me just on the performance of Alone, you know, Halep against Serena in the 2019 Wimbledon final. Just absolutely like devastating from start to finish. And, you know, I think it's you can only just kind of sit back in amazement, can't you, when, when something like that happens? Um, but Joel, we've got one more uh, award before we have a quick break. And on a slightly less, um, uh, well, less uh, excellent note, I suppose, biggest flop of the year is uh, is the next award category <laughs> that we've chosen. Um, now, this could be, well, it could be interpreted again in, in different ways. But who have you or what have you gone for for your flop of the year?
1: Um, yeah, I think there's, again, there's a few obvious candidates. Um, I'm gonna go for something, I'm gonna go for a match actually that I, I think, I think will be looked back on as a bit marmitey. Um, in terms of, I think some people loved it, some people because it had so much drama, but then I think some people hated it. And I think I'm in that category. And I'm talking about the US Open men's final between Dominic Team and <sighs> Tasha Zverev. Um, Dominic Team okay. won it 2-6, 4-6, 6-4, 6-3, 7-6, 8-6 in that tiebreak. Um, I mean, based on that scoreline alone, do you think like that's a dramatic match? It was probably very excellent um you know looking at that on on paper but watching that on tv kim i i, I mean it for me it was painful like the <laughs> first two sets were not com- the first two sets are like not competitive team really 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 was slow to kind of get going and then sort of zverev had the the jitters in the the fourth and sorry the third and fourth set and which it just it felt like it took like genuinely it felt like it took like 3 hours or it took until the 5th set genuinely <laughs> until both players were sort of playing at the, the same level and even though it went to a final match tie break I was just a bit like oh please could please someone just end this now um and uh, yeah it it was for me just not of you know maybe uh, you know and arguably I think maybe I uh, you know we've been a bit uh, you know we've been a bit um you know indulgent in the sort of big 3 finals that we've had over the you know over the last you know decade plus really and you know i think it's you know i i accept that you know when it when it comes to sort of new finalists and 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 particularly two players who've never won grand slams before you're not going to you're just not going to get that quality straight away but but even so i just felt that this final just it just failed up it failed for me to to deliver um it, it was just a lot of sort of you know one player playing well another playing player playing not and then it just switched around and then by the time we got to that fifth set I was just a bit like oh please just put out put us out of our misery
0: was it also something to do with the fact that it was about 3 a.m in the morning when <laughs> it was in the dying stages of that match very true, and- <laughs> very very true um, no, I don't think it was quite as late as that, but it, it was go- going on um, a bit, wasn't it? And, you know, you've got to get up early in, in the morning for work or what have you. But no, I think that match, yeah, was quite underwhelming in terms of the quality. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, I could really do with a, a big three uh matchup right now. But, I mean, it, it it was good that it was, you know, two new faces, um, you know, for Grand slam Final and... You know, the the performances will come. Uh, We can't have everything, can we? So, um, yeah, no, that's a good shout. Uh, I went for a tournament rather than a particular match. And I just went generally for um, the Adria Tour, um, which was pretty disastrous. And I don't want to sort of bash on it or anything like that but i think we can all agree that although it had the best of intentions it was a bit of a, a cock up um and it all went a bit pear-shaped um for want of a better expression uh and i don't think it'll be happening again uh at least <laughs> not not in the way it was conducted mm. um so yeah I, I don't think i've got an awful lot more to say on on the matter i think the tour adriador...
1: less said the better really i think yeah
0: perhaps so uh <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was a a good education for everyone involved. Let's just leave it at that. And uh, on that note, let's go for a quick ad break. And then do join us again for the second half, where we'll have eight more award categories uh, to discuss. This is the passing shot, and you're joined by Joel and Kim. Uh, welcome back. We're on part two now of our awards show episode, where we've got eight more uh, stunning categories to discuss. Joel, um, do you want to kick us off with number nine for our awards?
1: Yes. So our ninth our ninth category is a very very prestigious category actually. Outfit outfit of the year um our listeners you might be aware we we did an episode during lockdown which was uh fashion faves and fashion faux pas on a on a tennis court and again i think this season we have had quite a few we've had a few quite we've had a few fashion faves, but we've definitely had a lot more fashion faux pas and um uh, you know outfit of the year i've kim i've actually got for you a fashion fave and i've got got for your fashion faux pas so for me my fashion fave is the um i really really liked i mean this might be quite niche uh, i don't know if our listeners agree with this but i'm gonna go for i really really like sophia kennan's french open feeler outfit um from the okay it was from the the made for played connection uh sorry made for played collection um i just really liked the the pattern um and the sort of the the combination really and I just think it I just think it looked really good on um Sophia Kennan and I think Fila generally produced really solid uh tennis tennis outfits and I think that really uh shone through at the French Open so for me that was uh that was a fashion fave um very quickly in terms of fashion faux pas and I feel like you might have some opinions on this um because this was a big talking point I think at the US Open it was the Nike Andre Agassi sort of inspired U.S. Open collection, which for me, it just blinded my eyes. If I'm being honest, it was just too, it was just too like blotchy and all over the place. There's loads of fluorescent colours going on. It just wasn't working for me, and uh, it just looked a bit, it just looked a bit silly.
0: Yeah, that one was. Uh, it did raise a few eyebrows at the time. I do, I do remember. It wasn't my favourite, I have to say. Um, but I, I, if I, if we're going to go down the route of fave and faux pas, I I hadn't actually come up with a, a fave because I, all I could think of was was this this the faux pas. Outfit, which I'm, I'm going to put in the faux pas, which. <laughs> <laughs> which actually was maybe the one thing I do remember from the start of the year. And I know we talked about it at the time, but it's um, Grigor Dimitrov's Australian Open tracksuit, um, which I don't know if people remember. It was a dark sort of purple, almost looked navy in certain photographs, but a sort of dark purple Nike tracksuit with yellow blobs on it, um, which he, to be fair, had full credit to him. He, he wasn't scared. He came onto court wearing the whole caboodle. And uh, I think in small parts, it's it's all right. But the whole thing together was a bit overwhelming. Um, but I know he's quite into his fashion, so I'll give him his due. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of my my faux pas of the year. Fave, um, I have to say, actually, I've really enjoyed Rafa's um, sort of lilac short. Of course yeah. you did. <laughs> well, I just like the dots on his, the, the lilac and the kind of dark charcoal grey colour. Really liked it. And I, I thought the sort of dotty effect on his shirt, um, on his shorts, sorry. I thought they were quite festive. It reminded me of like the sparkles on a Christmas decoration with the light <laughs> bouncing off them. <laughs> so I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm going to have to give Rafa an award for his shorts as well.
1: Okay, right. Let's move on to our next category. And it's sort of an extension, actually, of Outfit of the Year. Very Another very sort of 2020 award. It is, of course mask mask of the year face mask of the year um i think there are there are, there are a couple of couple of candidates here kim you, you let's you, you you start this one off what are you going for i mean there are some interesting ones i think there are some more poignant ones as well um what what, what are you going for
0: yeah i've gone poignant joel and um, so i couldn't give it to anyone but naomi osaka for her us open collection you know um i think we all remember she had the seven different face masks um each one kind of highlighting and honoring a, if you like a different black victim of you know police brutality and and racial violence um and so each match she had a different mask with a different name to kind of raise awareness and and to keep their name and their memory in kind of the public um public eye so um i think we you know that was a really you know, a really um, moving way of of honouring those victims and, and also making, you know, a political statement as well at the end of the day. And the only thing I didn't like about it was the fact that some people in the media seemed to think it was sort of something to... I don't know, like belittle, or they were maybe asking some inappropriate questions around it in some of the post-match interviews, as if like if she was doing it for entertainment when clearly she wasn't. So um, yeah, I thought that I, I have seen some really like funky masks out there, but I thought I thought what she did, and and also you know the whole um, pause in play in uh, well Cincinnati, which was at New York. I thought Naomi Osaka. If if we had to give her an award for, I guess, kind of most um, outspoken or most politically constructive, uh, then you know, <laughs> I would have to give it to Osaka for kind of everything that she did, um, kind of around that time of the year, especially in calling out, um, you know, racial injustice and and all the the violence that we've we've been seeing. Um, you know, this year it's been kind of heightened, but obviously it's been going on for. Well, since time began, really, um, unfortunately. So, yeah that that's my that's my kind of my pick. What What about you, Joel? Are you going for someone slightly different, or? Uh, what have you got?
1: Yeah, I, I just just to add on that, actually, I think yeah, it, it it certainly was a really I think important thing from from Osaka. I think it just showed that you know even all these sort of tennis stars living in a bubble, etc. It showed that it showed I think that they were kind of in tune. You know from osaka 's point of view anyway that you know she was in tune with you know what 's going on in society, and that 's why I think it it resonated so well it 's like yes, I am kind of doing my thing and in a bubble, but I am aware of the sort of context that you know that we 're in, and i think that 's why it was so it was so important but um i 've gone slightly differently i 'm not going to lie i didn 't i that was sort of in my in my mind but i i can 't help stop i can 't help not think Kim, about the uh the Stephanos sisipas sort of own face on a face mask um and and uh, you know i i was looking up the history of this because um uh, yeah they they were kind of design i think they were designed by an artist um that was shown to him by a friend and he was like oh i like the i like the look of that um should we get it should we get it printed on a face mask and um i just quite like the idea of like promoting your own brand um using like using the face mask and i just thought some of the uh the art was just quite cool and and quite different and um i think it was just quite a bit i just think it was a bit fun and i quite liked that the you know it wasn't just him it was his you know team his teammates and his squad around him also sort of embracing that um on their face masks as well and um yeah i just i just i'm almost thinking i would just love to see myself on a in like an animated sort of caricature form uh on on a face mask because i think it looked quite it looked quite good for sissipas in that sort of you know he's he's a pretty out there guy in terms of you know he has his own instagram and and twitter and he does his own podcast and has a youtube account etc i just thought it fitted and, and just showed i think a bit of personality um that you know maybe people weren't you know what can what what can you do with a face mask Uh, but i think it just showed a bit of his sort of character and personality um you know with something that has now become you know part of you know it's become part of the fabric
0: of of every day yeah i I agree i think um if i'm picturing it correctly i think isn't it is it somewhat cola cat lee or something on instagram i think is the is the person that designs them because I know that Caroline Garcia has like a t-shirt with um her face on uh, which was kind of designed by by Cat Lee I think it is um I think she's based in in New York I'm not 100% sure on that but yeah they're quite funky designs and perhaps you know they could branch out and kind of sell those to to fans as well and we can you know yeah have a whole new business I don't know but yeah they are quite cool I yeah they're quite yeah I think it's the One of the most um interesting designs. Um and I know Novak was wearing um this sort of pink mask with like blue well, I thought they were sausage dogs, but I'm just wondering now, Novak fans, you'll have to correct me. I were they actually sort of a Lacoste crocodile, perhaps? Was it a um was it a Lacoste mask? I'm not sure, but it looked like dogs. Um, I'm just remembering one that he wore at the US Open but Novak fans do tell me if I'm wrong but that's another one that stood out in my mind Um, I quite liked that one Um, but yeah okay uh, next category Joel we're going back to the lockdown where not much was going on
1: the good old times of the lockdown
0: gosh Um, and yeah best lockdown entertainer from the tennis world Or, or what or okay to put it in another way what moment provided you with the most um fun during lockdown or what put a smile on your face during that uh pause in the season um yeah it was um it was a it was a specific
1: tweet actually and no it was not from Nick Kyrgios we'll get we'll get onto that in a bit but um yeah for me it was um it was a tweet from Roger Federer where he uh, I think he retweeted a tweet and commented, I am picturing a merger. And he got everyone excited about this sort of idea that the WTA and ATP tours could combine into, into one thing. And um, really I felt that sort of in a lockdown period where, as you said, sort of not much is really kind of going on. Um, and, you know, maybe it was the time, you know, if there was one time for something absolutely, uh, you know, necessary, I think, even um to happen. It despite how impossible it might be or sound, I think that was the that that was the topic. And the fact that, you know, a player of, you know, Federer's magnitude, of his presence, um, and of his weight, um, you know, with with players as well. Um, you know, for me that was a really it was just a really entertaining tweet because it just got everyone's imaginations i think perked up in terms of oh what what's tennis going to look like in you know in in the future could we could we have a you know a single a single tour um you know just at the moment you know i've been reading you know over the last couple of days about golf and i think this the you know the it sounds like they are potentially moving towards a world tour um so if if it can be done in golf why can't it be done in tennis and you know the fact that Federer, i think has, has started the the conversation there and we've seen it i think you know develop since then um we've seen sort of i think campaigns and um you know partnerships happen to to show that that it is prospering but really for me that that got me excited about the thought of i think a, a single a single tour because you know i think think generally speaking we love to see events where there are atp players atp matches and wta matches on the same site um and i I just want to i want to see more of that if i'm being honest and that that you know that's sort of uh, if a merger did take place you'd think obviously that sort of thing would happen so um yeah that was my sort of that was my lockdown entertainment
0: fantastic yeah i mean that was uh, it is something that well, who know, what who knows? Watch this space. Um but yeah, I thought that <laughs> everyone was quite uh, amazed when Federer kind of came out with that. You know, it was sort of a nod to perhaps what could what could happen. Um I've also picked something that involved Federer, actually. Um and my moment was <laughs> uh it <laughs> reminds me of actually uh, a bit of, a bit of me and you, Joel, because it was when Rafa and Roger were having their Instagram live and Rafa was trying to get Roger to enter the chat uh and wasn't having much luck. And then uh Fedra sort of finally was able to get in and and they were sort of like celebrating uh <laughs> And he was saying, Oh, he'd been trying to go like in and out and in and out. And uh Rafa's face during the time when he was trying to get Rafa uh, uh we're trying to get Roger to join the chat was just classic. And it just reminded me, Joel, of when we have technical issues and when we finally kind of get on to, you know, because we, we record remotely, um, the first thing we say to each other is, Can you hear me? <laughs> And Very I was just like, oh, it's like Roger and Rafa having technical issues. They're just like us when we record the podcast. And I just, I don't know, just the two of them having their little chat. It For me, it was just such a nice thing to see because, you know, they're just obviously heroes of the sport. And um, I just thought it was just a lovely thing for them to do. And then obviously Andy Murray was got involved. And, and also just like Andy and Nova chatting, like everyone just kind of having those little insta lives I thought was really nice way of like connecting um you know with the fans as well and including everyone so um but yeah that that particular particular bit of of Roger and Rafa amused me greatly and and it reminded me of their video a long time ago where they can't stop laughing I don't know if you've seen that um yeah they're trying to film film something and and they just keep cracking up and, and Federer especially I think is trying to say his his bit and he can't can't get the words out because he's just laughing and um that really reminds me of when i once upon a time tried to do amateur dramatics and kept laughing every time i was i was due to say my my bit so um i can definitely um associate myself with that (laughs) um but yeah let's let's go on to the next uh, award which is also well potentially sort of lockdown related as well and that is a special (laughs) Nick Kyrgios tweet of the year. Uh, (laughs) He's done many and a lot of them have caused controversy and a lot of talking points. But do you have one in particular that really caught your eye, Joel?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, Nick Kyrgios has been an absolute standout on social media, particularly because it feels like genuinely he has nothing else to do because, you know, he is obviously in Australia and, you know, the situation has been really bad over there. And, you know, similar to Ash Barty, doesn't feel like he can train or or travel. And um, as a result of that, it's like, okay. I'm gonna put all my oh, I'm gonna put all my effort into Twitter and, um, you know, putting tweets out for people to get angry at. Um, so, um, my Nick Kyrgios tweet of the year, and uh, you know, I think a lot of people will remember this one. It was in the wake of the Novak Djokovic default at the U.S. Open, where he went out on Twitter and asked. Um, his followers, how many years would he get banned for doing the same thing? Um, and we all know that, you know, you know, Kyrgios and, and Djokovic have a bit of, have a bit of needle with each other. And, um, I think Kyrgios also feels like he gets, you know, unfairly sort of treated by the, the ATP tour as well. And, um, I just thought this was almost like the, the, yeah, that was almost like the culmination of that in terms of he put, putting a vote out. And I think he asked, like, uh, I think he asked five year, five year suspension, ten year suspension, twenty year plus suspension, and uh, yeah, it was. I think he, I think the the overriding answer from the majority of of his followers was was twenty years plus. So um, that for me was my uh, Nick Kurios tweets of the year. I just thought it was a bit, I just thought it was a bit funny, and you know, I think I think Nick Kurios, you know, he has matured this season. I think we've seen that. I think particularly you know at the start of the season with the you know the the stuff he was doing around the you know the australian open and the and the bushfires um but you know since then of course he i think he's just added a bit more sort of uh entertainment and and banter to the the tour that i think was i personally i think it was missing before you know he 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 came on and um i think it's it's made for some certainly i think some exciting and and sort of tricky matches i think when he comes back onto to the tour but um for now yeah for me that that moment was really um, it was funny because i just think it just kind of captured it just captured what we were all thinking
0: absolutely and and another tweet that i i'm going to pick is yeah actually one i i agreed with with nick Kyrgios on because um i think it was when we were sort of starting to talk about him as being almost the voice of reason um, in the tennis world. And um, that was when the Adria tour was going on. And uh, specifically Sasha Zverev was essentially misbehaving. You know, he was obviously part of the kind of charity event and um, was supposed to be, I think, self-isolating um, once he'd got home and then he was sort of caught on social media out and about uh, socializing and, Nick Kyrgios basically was calling him out about it and then Boris Becker got involved and was having a go at Nick Kyrgios for being a rat basically and saying that oh anybody telling off fellow sportsman and woman is no friend of mine look yourself in the mirror and think you're better than us um don't like no rats um basically saying that Nick Kyrgios I don't know wasn't entitled to an opinion because uh wasn't entitled to commenting on his fellow players like even though they were you know not following the rules um and then you know Kyrgios sort of responded saying oh for goodness sake Boris I'm not competing or trying to throw anyone under the bus it's a global pandemic and if someone is as idiotic as Alex to do what he has done I'll call him out for it simple which I have to say I can't disagree with Kyrgios there because um you know it's it's absolutely fair play you know Zverev was was not doing what he should have been doing um and yes, Kyrgios um certainly has had moments where he uh hasn't behaved as well. But um it you know, in this instance he certainly had a point. And I have to say, one of my favorite things about this argument was the fact that Boris Becker randomly uh decided to tag, I think, a clothing company called Farfetch into the tweet, which um just I assume was a, a complete mistake, but um I really baffled me and I, I was like, does he have a stake in this company? Is he just trying <laughs> to promote it? Or um, yeah, I, I, does he not know how to use Twitter? I'm not sure. But yeah, I have to say that was probably my my favourite one was was the Boris Becker kind of argument that that happened. Um, yeah, I guess it was around the end of June. Mm. I think that was. Yeah, fair um, enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean that is that is serious. I mean, I feel like there's been a lot. We could have probably just done a podcast on on Nick Kyrgios' tweets, probably, uh, yeah, of, of tweets of this year, um, I'm, tweet tweets of of 2021. Who knows what he's going to say say next year? But um, yeah, uh, I really do look forward to seeing him back playing tennis on the tour because he is such a such a talent, and um, you know, there's going to be some interesting matchups uh, coming up. Given the sort of um, given the sort of um, tweets he's been putting out this year, but um, let's let's move on. We've got a few more awards to get through. We've got two biggies. We've got match of the year and player of the year, which we're going to end on. But before we get there, we've got um, a couple of fan orientated categories. Um, and the first one, Kim, is favorite commentator. Um, obviously, commentary big. Uh, a big part of the fan experience uh particularly in lockdown um interestingly you know i've been watching you know all kinds of sport over um you know over the last few months and um you know you know now you can almost kind of get uh matches so you can watch sports without commentary but um i mean just kind of speaking in, in tennis terms what, what for you is is kind of your favorite favorite commentator or favorite commentary team who who who's your who who would you love to have uh for your sort of um whenever you kind of sit down on the sofa and and you put on the the tennis
0: oh that's a good shout because there's so many good commentators actually I have to say um but oh Um, I'm, I I was really impressed with, um, this is a person I'm going to say is my kind of favorite or most uh, impressive of the year. If, if, if you like, um, was actually listening to five live radio and, uh, during the US open, they had Naomi Brody on, um, not every day, but just kind of every now and then. And I thought that was really nice. I thought she had such a good insight into the game. And because she, you know, is still a current player, I think it just adds like another depth to the conversation. Um, a lot more relevant um insight. And I think she can really give really good perspective on, especially players who are kind of lower down in the in the rankings and kind of really struggling. And um Obviously, you get some of those players and their stories, you know, at, at slams. And, um, yeah, I hadn't really heard her kind of do commentary and stuff before. And I think she definitely should go into it once she's kind of fully, you know, hung up her rackets because I just thought she had such good insight. And, um, yeah, was really – I enjoyed very much listening to the, to the 5 Live commentary. Um, I also have to say I do quite like um, – listening to Mark Petchy. I think he's always been um, one of my kind of preferred um, commentators, good insight, and also I think quite kind of fair in his uh, summary of, of everyone. Um, I'm not going to name the ones that I don't enjoy listening to because I don't think that's particularly fair, but I think most people might know who I'm talking about. Um but um, yeah, fortunately, we don't get this person too often. Um, but what about you? I mean, I do enjoy. Um, I have to say, I, I quite like in the UK the ITV4 coverage. I like Santoro and Bartoli. I think they've got. Um, they, I like their kind of team that they've got going there as well.
1: I um, I, I am actually a big fan of the French Open commentary on uh, on ITV. I love I love Jim Courier. I think he's for oh, me yes. he is yeah. um, for me he is my he. As a fan, he is my favourite. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah tennis good. commentator. He, I think he is very. He does the analysis bit, uh, like you know. I think tennis, tennis, tennis fans really like, and he does it in a very simple and easy to understand way. You can tell he's very committed and dedicated to his job. You know, I think particularly with you know the french open i think he was juggling between doing itv itv stuff for the uk and then i think tennis channel stuff for the the states so he's really kind of committed and i think that that sort of passion really kind of shines through when he commentates and he's just very entertaining guy to watch i also think just off the cuff i think he's also one of the best um on court interviewers as well i think we've actually seen a few awkward sort of on court interviewers since you know, locked down with the sort of social distancing place and, and masks and stuff. But I think, you know, him at the Australian open, particularly, uh, you know, in previous years has have been right up there in sort of the blueprint in sort of the way you do it. And I think he also offers that blueprint in terms of commentary as well. Um, and uh, yeah, him and him and Santoro as a, as a team, I think just work very, very well together.
0: Oh, no, I I agree. I think, um, yeah, they are, um, I mean, I have to say, I quite like, um, I, I quite like a bit of Tim Hemman. I Some people may not agree with me, but <laughs> I, um, It's not as bad as I thought he was going to (laughs) be. He really Um, knows. He does really like know what
1: he's. He's you know he knows obviously what he's talking about. But Mm. it's not. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be because you know you see some like football ex football players do a bit of punditry and you don't. It can't really get across what they're trying to say. But I I think in the tennis world, I think he's very articulate in in how he you know he how he you know talks about what he sees.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, for me, I really I, I like it when current or ex-players get involved. Like, I think a few seasons ago at Wimbledon, wasn't Andy Roddick um, on the commentary team? And I, I quite enjoyed his insight. And I think Leighton Hewitt did a bit of commentary um, out in Australia a few years ago, or maybe he still does, but I mean, I wasn't, you know, when, with the year I was there, I was listening in and I really thought his perspectives were, were very good. And I, I don't particularly support him as a player, I have sort of he's not really one of my favourites, but as a commentator, um, yeah, absolutely you know, fantastic. So I think um it's it's different. You get a different side to them sometimes, don't you? And um but yeah, I think there's there's a whole variety of them really. And I'm definitely always interested to hear more views from more more players. And I think it would actually be really fun if I don't know, even during a tournament you got like a top player who just did like a match or something. Um or I don't know, just to get their perspectives because I think you just there's so much kind of variations out there. So, um, but yeah, no, Mark, uh, Mark Patrick, Jim Courier, they're all all good. But I have to say, yeah, Naomi Brady for me, she was um, I really enjoyed listening to her during the US. Um, next award, Joel, biggest fan gripe. So the things that uh, really like pissed you off as a fan this year <laughs> um it's an interesting one because there's probably a lot of things that annoy annoy tennis fans when you're watching it on telly um i know there's certainly things that annoy us when we're watching it live but that hasn't happened <laughs> all year, uh, unsurprisingly so what have you got for this one joel what's your biggest fan gripe
1: yeah i've got i've got two actually i mean mean, i feel like i could have a million um but no i've got i've got a serious one and i think i've got a funny one as well um my serious one i think is a bit more on you know i think a lot of the chat kind of going into us open going into the french open was around oh should these grand slams should they have an asterisk next to them in the record books because of the you know the situation they're in and you know the fact that not all the players are playing it etc and i just like i think like we just got so much of that conversation just repeatedly and uh, you know in my book i was just a bit like this is a so silly you know i came around to it i think it's just kind of like this is a so silly question because you know these are challenging these are just challenging circumstances they're just challenging in a completely different way and you shouldn't sort of hinder a player's achievements based on that in fact arguably you could say it makes it even more impressive so for me that was sort of the the serious one and and then the the funny one was for me i mean i feel like we talk about this every year kim french open hawkeye hawkeye on a clay court can we can we i feel like this is the new sort of should women get paid the same as men sort of debate can we just have hawkeye on a clay court so we don't have to talk about anymore please
0: yeah, but it's until we get—is it Fox Ten? Um, the the hawkeye as it stands, is not is not accurate um, on a clay court. So that I would don't be care. Me I don't pointless. care. I just <laughs> want it on
1: there. I just want it on there. Oh. To, so it just I feel like it's inevit- I f- just feel like it's an inevitable thing that's going to happen mm. um, at, at some point. Maybe next season they'll do a trial. At, uh, you know, somewhere. I think the. I, I think. I think what they will need is, and I don't think they have it at the moment, you know, we talk about the, you know, in previous years, for example, the, you know, the next gen finals being used as sort of the, you know, proving ground for lots of, you know, different innovations. And of course that's not on a clay court. I feel like they should have a sort of designated, maybe clay court event for some sort of innovation, because it it does feel that maybe clay court as a surface is potentially lagging behind in terms of you know innovating and it feels like there's for me anyway it feels like there's a spot that certainly if it's Hawkeye or or whatever it is I feel like there's a spot open there really to to make sure that we're not having situations where umpires get down from there uh you know from the, the center of court to look at a spot and say where it is when it actually isn't because you know, we've seen that on, I think, on, on, you know, as fans on on social media a few times, and it, it's looked a bit, it's looked a bit silly, it's looked a bit farcical, and I just think, you know, we're we're in a situation where nowadays I just don't think we we don't have to have these, you know, these moments, and I think that for me is where really we one of the reasons, one of the motivations why you know we should, really should be pushing to have that sort of technology on a clay court.
0: Mm, no, I. I think you're right. Um, I think it will be coming in soon, though, Joel, hopefully with with the right, you know, innovations. But um, no, I think, good point. Um, I personally am going to go for something a bit more um, COVID-related, actually, uh, which is when players have blatantly decided to ignore the rules and have shaked, uh, shaked, shook, what's what's the past, I don't know how to say it, have shaken their hands, shaken each other's hands at the end of the match. (laughs) Um, When you're supposed to do a racket tap and we've had instances where players have just decided to ignore that and they've like done a massive hug or they've um, just like, yeah, touched hands. Um, Even a fist bump, to be honest, annoys me because I'm like, you know, your racket's there, tap it, don't touch fingers um I know they're getting tested regularly but you know it's it's kind of just the point of it isn't it um so that's that's my one um yeah just just blatant kind of ignorance of of the rules essentially when you know they're there for a reason and these players are supposed to be setting good example you know they've got you know thousands of people watching from home and I think you know just I guess it's easy sometimes to forget kind of distancing and and those sorts of things but it's yeah just something quite simple but a lot of players don't follow it so um, that's my my particular gripe Um, but perhaps you know on a given day I could think of many more but I'm not going to go down there uh, right now (laughs) we're going to end on a good note Um, our next award um, we've kind of got two left I think our next award is Match of the Year oh so big one. Big one. yeah it's quite um quite a tricky one is there one particular match Joel that you absolutely would have to say hands down that it's the most memorable best quality high drama match that you can recall from 2020
1: I mean well, I think we were a little bit spoiled for choice actually in terms of you know across the ATP and WTA tours in terms of you know, really entertaining matches as fans um, across the, you know, the whole season for me, there was one standout match and it wasn't actually, you know, these, this, this matchup, actually, it happened in a grand slam final and it happened at the, the ATP world tour finals as well. I'm talking about Dominic team versus Novak Djokovic. Um, And I think, you know, I think for some listeners it will be okay is it the Australian Open final, which went to you know five sets, and you know Novak Djokovic won it after being two sets to one down, or is it the ATP Tour Finals um, semi-final uh, where Dominic Team won it um, in a in a final match, final uh, final set tiebreak? And for me, it is the ATP Tour Finals semi-final that we had recently uh, with Dominic Team winning. 756776 with that mammoth tie break in the middle, which Kim, you were just kind of like <laughs> I think you we were talking about it, you were just kind of uh you were just kind of like uh watching it and then you were flicking between channels and it was still on because it lasted for so long. Um but um really for me that match was an absolute qu- it was just quality from the first point and it was a really impressive showing I think from Dominic Team, not to let his you know, his head drop after that that second set wobble where, as I said, he lost that tie break 12-10. Um, and then to come back in, as I said, in that, in that third set tie break, to come back from love four down, it just showed you, I think, in a nutshell, really, how far he has come on this season. And I think, you know, at that moment, I think what was really important about that win was the fact that, you know, I think there were probably going to be some doubters in terms of, yes, he had won his first... Grand Slam at the US Open but did he beat any of the big three to do it no he didn't um and I think at the tour finals he really kind of showed by the fact that you know he he beat Nadal um and then in in the group stages and then beat Djokovic in that semi-final it really did show that he really he really belongs and you know we we've spoken before about his Positive head-to-head record um, against the against the big three in in recent times, and yeah, that that semi-final for me was just it was just breathtaking, and it was one of those matches where you it, it, you did want a capacity crowd there because it was just a marvel to behold, and it, it was dramatic to it was dramatic to to the last point, and you know Novak Djokovic, I think you know said in his press conference, look, he he was he was full of up and he, he couldn't do anything about it. Dominic team just found a level that he could not live with. And you know, for Novak Djokovic to to say that, it just shows you, I think, how, you know, how well um you know how well Dominic Team, you know, what his level is at um, you know, coming to the end of twenty twenty and going into twenty twenty one.
0: Absolutely. Um that was a fantastically dramatic match, especially that tie break. Um those two players probably the best tiebreak records of the year, and yeah, it kind of all came down to to two in that match. Um, I'm going to pick a match that also involves Novak Djokovic, but um, but but, uh, but not for, I guess, the right reasons, perhaps. Um, well, um, ones that Novak fans may not want me to talk about again, but. Um, that would have to be the French Open final, Joel. Uh, as a Rafa fan, I couldn't pick any other match from this year. Um, obviously, Rafa won his thirteenth French Open title and produced like the performance of his life in conditions that were probably the toughest uh, of all Roland Garros's previous. And just he pulled out of the bag, absolute big time, and surprise, well. It surprised us all, actually, because, you know, you think Rafa couldn't surprise us anymore because he's achieved so much. But he um, just absolutely amazed me in that day. I was so proud as a fan. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just completely outclassed Djokovic, which is just very rarely happens. And I just, yeah, that has absolutely got to be my match of the year. Um, but I would just say on a performance level as well, Sviantek against Halep would be right up there as well um but obviously i've kind of already covered that earlier on um and also performance wise as well the two women's semi-finals at the us open fantastic stuff yeah
1: kim i'm just gonna say i'm not gonna lie my flop of the year was very close to being (laughs) that really (laughs) match because i think it I personally didn't think it lived up to the billing. I thought, you know, we all I think we were going into it thinking, "Oh, is this, you know, the time Djokovic is going to beat Nadal um, you know, in a French Open final? Is this going to be the, you know, the transition that we were expecting?" And no no it wasn't. And it was it it, it didn't really go, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were expecting a big tussle over five sets, going five hours, really expecting sort of you know really kind of um draining you know really draining match for both players but for me it just did not materialize (laughs) that it's funny because yeah for me that was very much a close runner-up for um for flop of the year because it just yeah it just for me it just did not live up to the the billing of a of a no of a of the novak of the of the nadal djokovic rivalry
0: I think you're just a closet Novak fan, aren't you? <laughs> That's why you're just bitter. <laughs> um yeah, okay. I totally agree that um well, I don't agree with you, but um I, I as I know that I'm biased somewhat as a Rafa fan, so obviously that match is gonna be like high up on my list. Um I totally am aware of that. Um but yeah, let's bring on that brings us on to our um our final award of the of the year, um, which is player of the year quite frankly. Um, who has been your overall player of 2020? It's really hard, that one. I think it's... Um, yeah, there's been a lot of... A lot of... what A lot of candidates for this one. I mean, I'm going to throw a few out there. Um, but it's really hard, isn't it? Because of the lockdown, because of the season being quite bitty. A lot of players have only sort of played a few tournaments. It's quite hard to... Get an overall kind of comprehensive answer. But for me, um on the men's side, I oh, it's got to be Novak Djokovic. Um Ooh. Ooh. Dominic Team. Because oh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean Djokovic, you know, for the most part was completely unbeaten. Uh, you know, and even, you know, he had a couple of defeats towards the end, but you know, he's still um, you know, what? obviously won the Australian Open with one, you know, it just, it was still just showing another level of tennis for a large part of the season. And it's I hard to sort of go beyond him when he was, he was so, so dominant uh, for, well, the vast majority of the season it was only at the end when he sort of put his foot off the pedal a bit, I think, but, um, but Dominic team, you know, perhaps level with him, you could say for winning his first slam, you know, getting to AO final, um, obviously ATP finals final, performing such a consistently high level and really I think putting himself in that top three for contention at slams. Um yeah, I think either one of those two for for the men's side, what what do you think? I think there's
1: absolutely no way you can give Play player of the year to Novak Djokovic. Oh, yes, I. Th-
0: why not? I think,
1: I think like <laughs> I think yes, he reached. I think you know Dominic Team and Novak Djokovic both. I think reached two Slam finals, but I just can't. You just in my bit. You just can't give player of the year to someone uh, who got defaulted um, at at the U.S. Ooh. Open. In, in my opinion, <laughs> um, so I mean personally, okay. my, you know, from my personally from my point of view, I think it has to be you know Dominic Team. You know, he beat Kim, He beat Rafa, at, you know, at, at, at the Australian Open, lost to Djokovic in five, Learned from it, went and won his first slam of the year. He was able to handle that expectation and that 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 pressure, I think, that, you know, was bestowed upon him once that, that Djokovic default happened. And, you know, he really made sure that you know, with that US Open win, we, you know, the monkey's off his bat. We're not going to be talking about him next season as, you know, one of the best players on the tour to have never won a, you know, have to have never won a, a grand slam. And, and, you know, and for that reason, for me, that's, that's why Dominic team for me is the, you know, is the, the player of the year. I mean, just, just talking on the, on the women's side, because I think there are, again, a couple of candidates we've talked about, um, a person we haven't really talked about at all in this episode. And I feel like, again, probably one of the most underappreciated players on the tour. It's Sophia Kennan, uh, Australian Open champion, come on leaps and bounds, got to the French Open final when, you know, she had been double bagel by Azarenka in, in Rome. Um, you know, f- again, for me, she had a very... A very good, a very, very good uh twenty twenty when perhaps kind of the talk, you know, particularly on in the American media was probably more focused on Serena Williams, Coco Goff, Venus Williams, Jennifer Brady, and, and for me, Kenan really was just kind of going out about her business and the fact that, you know, she got to two slam finals, one one of them, again, she's gonna she's she's she she really um she really she really impressed herself, I think, you know, it, it, it impressed herself this season. I know there'll be some fans out there saying she doesn't play the most attractive brand of tennis, but you can see by the results this year, I feel particularly at the big events, it's it's certainly effective.
0: Yeah, no, I. Um, it's interesting actually that you completely disagree about Djokovic because yes, he's he's done a bad thing in getting defaulted, but does that distract from all the amazing tennis he's done I don't know listeners what do you think um, I was also going to say Andre Rublev because you know he's won the most titles this year and has been very consistent but for me the question marks remain about you know yes he's done that at 250 500 level but not so much at the top top um, yeah but on the women's side Fiontek Osaka Kenin, Azarenka four names spring to mind um, for for the WTA player of the year but it's it's not been a normal season. It's so hard to kind of. It's so hard, isn't it? So. Osaka
1: won the US Open and literally did nothing for the rest of the season. I know. Yeah. It's very, I think very, very, it's very tricky,
0: Yeah. I think I'd have to say Kennan just for consistency more so. It's just consistency in the slams, I guess. I don't think she won a tournament. She won Leon. She won Leon. Oh, she won Leon. As well. Okay. Um, so, but anyway, listeners, what do you think? Uh, do you think that we are completely wrong in a lot of our categories and that you beg to differ on a big scale? Um, yeah, let us know. What do you think? You can obviously tweet us or send us a message on Instagram. Let us know your thoughts. Um, we hope you've enjoyed our sort of slight um, roundup of the of the year and our sort of um, thoughts and... Um, yeah, highlights, I guess, on what's happened. It's it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it, Joel, to kind of quantify and and discuss. But I think hopefully we've we've done our our bit to kind of bring it justice in some way.
1: Yeah, I think if if you're gonna have to summarise the 2020 season in line, it's probably it was just a bit of a weird one, wasn't it? Um- <laughs> and we saw that in terms of how that played out in terms of the the tennis so um so yeah but um i hope listeners you've enjoyed listening to the passing shot this season um uh, we've really enjoyed uh putting the show together over um over the the course of the season whether that's been whilst the tennis has been on or you know, during the, the pause as well. We've really enjoyed producing these shows. Um, if you have been enjoying listening to us um, over the course of this season um, and you want to support us, um, please do so through our crowdfunding campaign on CrowdFunder. Um, We'll put the link in the description. Um, But essentially, if you want to support the show and help us thrive uh, in the 2021 season, please, uh, if you can, if you are able to donate, um, that would be of a a real help to us.
0: Yes, definitely. And thank you uh, massively to those of you who have already donated. Um, It's been lovely to see. So thank you ever so much. And like Joel said, there's still plenty of time if you haven't already done so. Um, and thank you in advance to those of you who will do so. Um but I think that brings it to a close, Joel. Um yeah, we um we'll be taking a break. We'll be back in the new year. Obviously, we hope the tennis will be underway shortly after <laughs> uh, the new year and we'll be um we'll be not there physically, but there in spirit to cover it. And we just kind of want to say a, a big Merry Christmas as well to all our listeners. We hope you have a nice, relaxing festive break, whatever you're up to. Uh, Probably not up to an awful lot if you're in the UK, because there's not an awful lot we can do at the moment with uh, all the tears that are going on. But um, yeah, hopefully we will see you all again in the new year. And fingers crossed that 2021 is is less weird joel
1: <laughs> i'm just hoping kim speaking of christmas i'm just hoping santa has is has been good to me and he's going to get me my malik yaziri calendar <laughs> 2021 <laughs> calendar
0: as if uh, if there was such a thing that would be absolutely brilliant um oh, I, could, dear. I could make you one if you like oh, if you really please, want to.
1: <laughs> please please could you do that please could you do that um yes uh, listeners, Listeners, yeah i hope you i hope you've enjoyed listening to us of course if you want to make sure you are up to date on all of the uh tennis season for 2021 uh and you want to listen to all of our, our all of our episodes um yeah for next season make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple podcast spotify stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button
0: and you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Passing Shop Pod. And if you'd like to send us a message, please do so. You can also email us passingshotpod at gmail.com uh, We'd love to hear from all of you, so please just let us know uh, all your thoughts.
1: But for now, we we are going to be saying goodbye. As Kim said, we'll be back in the new year to to get cracking. Hopefully, with the twenty twenty one season. Again, just to reiterate, hope you've enjoyed listening to us this season, and we'll see you again in the new year.